in light of recent events, we're going to look at seven verses from the book of Romans, and in my opinion at least, uh, contain the clearest and most specific teaching on the Christian's responsibility to civil authority, or you might say human government. So how do the citizens of heaven relate to human government? That's the question we need to address today. I hope you understand every Christian is under the command from the Lord Jesus Christ to maintain proper and useful submission to government and do that for the sake of, the Bible says, that we can lead a peaceful life and also have an effective witness. So these first chapters here in Romans, as they build up to chapter 13, are really explaining in very marvelous detail what it means to be saved and how people become saved. It Clearly it says, if you read those first 11 chapters of Romans, that you, if you're a Christian, are saved or you're justified by God's grace that works through faith faith alone, in Christ alone. So the miracle of salvation impacts every relationship in a believer's life, including, in chapter 13 here, the relationship that you have with governing authority. By the way, that's not just the prime minister or president. That includes councils, mayors, and so forth. So we're going to we need to have that background, that foundation in mind as we come to the application stage of the book of Romans. And so at this point, let me just make an important statement here as we're before we kind of jump into Romans 13. It's on the screen here for you. The mission of the church. What is it? The mission of the church. Fast forward. There it is. The mission of the church is not to change society. Although that is uh, a beneficial byproduct of faithful ministry and living. But here's the mission of the church. To worship and serve the Lord and to bring others to saving faith in Him. Some people think that the the mission of the church is to change society. We've got to make got to make New Zealand or whatever country you live in a Christian country. You, you might hope for that, but that is not the mission of the church. It could become the byproduct of the church living faithfully and doing what they're supposed to do. So we need to keep that in mind as we, as we think about what Romans is telling us here. So what is the Christian's responsibility to society? We have responsibilities. What is our responsibility to government in particular? Well, the Bible says that we are to remain aliens and strangers in this world. We read in 1 Peter 2 about that. So how are we to live in the world, but Jesus said don't be of the world? Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? Be in it, but not of it. And so in this text here, the Apostle Paul is going to present two basic principles that answer that tough question for us. 
Now, you're not going to like the answer. <laughs> At least I assume you won't, because I don't like the answer. But here's what the Bible says. Basically, here's what we're told to do. Be subject to governments and pay your taxes. As a pastor, I must say, this is not how you win and influence friends. <laughs> this is not a fun message, but it is a necessary one. And so these commands are really summarizing for the Christian the civic duty. And so it's through fulfilling those two obligations here that we can do what Jesus said. We can render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to him. So how do you, how do, you do that? You, you give to Caesar what belongs to him, but God's still on his throne. He's still in charge. It needs to be a balance there. Well, let's see what Romans 13 says. Let's, let's read together. Romans 13. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. These are the words of the living God. So, in verse 1, we, we have a very important question that needs to be answered for us. What is God's standard here? According to verse 1, God says to be, we are to be subject to civil authority. And according to verse 1, we need to answer another important question, then who is to be obeyed? Who is to be obeyed? Who is, who, who is to obey this command? It is a command, by the way. Notice verse 1 says, every person. Every person to, is, is to obey this command. It doesn't leave anyone out because it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That includes even people in government then, too, right? They, they need to obey this command as well. And what does it mean to be subject? It says be subject. Again, command. What does that mean? Well, that Greek word, it might be helpful for you to understand. Particularly those who are in the military, you might, you might understand this even more. But it was used of a soldier's absolute obedience to his 
commanding officer. And so if the commanding officer says, you know, you, you jump out of the trenches and you attack the enemy, that's what you do. Just like our dear New Zealand soldiers and the Australians did when, you know, they're in World War I, when they were in Turkey. Knowing full well that they're probably all going to die, they obeyed the commanding officers and ran toward the Turks and they paid for their, with their lives. That's the idea here. That's what subjection is. And so the verb is a, an interesting word in the Greek. It, the idea is here, again, a command. It's not an option. We, we have to do this. This is something that the Christian is to willingly place himself under all governing authorities. Just like if you sign up for military service. You are submitting, you're willingly submitting yourself to those rulers, the commanders. And this, by the way, according to the Greek, tells us that something we're to continually or repeatedly do. Not just once in your life, but all of your life continually do this. And by the way, does this mean that Christians are always supposed to obey civil authority? Or is there, is there a situation where a Christian can disobey civil authority? Well, Scripture makes one exception to this command, by the way. There's only one exception. And that is when obedience to the civil authority would then require disobedience to God's Word. For example, if... Do I need to give examples? I mean, if, if, if the government, you know, for example, commanded you to murder a child or somebody, well, obviously that's, that's in direct disobedience to God. Then we would, we would be, hopefully, be guilty of civil disobedience in that situation. All right? and we, that could be many situations like that. So that's what it means to be subject. But to whom are we to be subject? Notice verse 1 tells us it is to the governing authorities. So that's referring to every position of civil authority. And by the way, I mean that, that's lesser civil authorities, like I said, which includes you know, local level government, not just national or state government. And by the way, this would... Uh, you're to do this without regard to whether or not that person is competent. <laughs> Plenty of incompetent politicians, aren't there? But that's not the issue here. God doesn't say, you know, submit yourselves to only the competent civil authorities. And, and it has nothing to do with their morality either. Okay? Plenty of immoral people in government. God's not saying you only submit to those who are moral. And it has nothing to do whether they're reasonable people, whether or not you like them or not. That's not the issue. God says we are to be subject to them. Now, why do we have to be subject to our governing authorities? According to verse 1, answers that question. And you'll notice, according to verse 1, that where government's authority comes from, God says there's no authority on planet Earth or anywhere 
for that fact, except it comes from God. And so since he alone is the sovereign ruler of the universe, guess what? He gets to make the rules. He's the one who gets to institute who the authorities on earth are. In fact, the Bible says there's four authorities that God has instituted on the earth. See in here? Four authorities. So the, the government over all citizens. God has instituted the church over all believers. God has instituted parents over all children. And God has given us employers over all employees. Or in other words, you have a master, some of your Bibles might say, or a boss, or supervisor, however you want to word that. Right? You, if, unless you are the employer, you, ha- you are an employee. And we have to submit. So human government's authority derives from and is, is even defined by God himself. And now why did God do that? Wouldn't it be nice if God was your boss? Well, he is your boss. But I mean, you know, if you didn't have to work for a human boss, and you had a, you just answered to God, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, as we're going to see later, there's two reasons for why God did this. Because the Bible says he he instituted human government to reward good and to restrain sin and evil in this fallen world. Now, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, of course, you know it doesn't always work out that way. But that's the two basic reasons. Well, like individual believers... A local church is obligated to observe civil laws. For example, churches, uh, I'll give you some examples, all right? So let's say churches that own buildings, for example. They have to obey zoning laws, fire safety regulations. The churches have to have handicapped toilets or, you know, those sort of things, right? Any law that uh, local or or state government brings in, churches are obligated to obey those. They can't disobey those. So a church is only justified then in disobeying an ordinance that, that would require uh, them to go against God's Word, just, just like an individual Christian. It's the same thing. Uh, for example, this, this is coming down the pipe for churches. If you don't see it coming, it's, it's on its way where churches are going to be forced to accept homosexuals into the church membership. Or churches might, for example, might be forced to have homosexuals on the staff of the church. That's happening. And churches who say, no, the Bible commands us not to do that sort of thing, we're not going to do that, well then, they get put out of existence. That's what's happening. So, submission is hard. It's not easy, it's hard. So what are God's reasons then for our submitting to human government? Well, God gives us some reasons. And I'm glad He does, because this is not easy. Think about it. If all you had was verse 1, whoa. God says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And if it stopped there, whoa, that would make it really hard. But fortunately, Paul presents here for us seven reasons 
why Christians are to submit to human government. Number one. If you're taking notes, here it is. Number one. Government is by divine decree. Thank God that God is in charge. He is sovereign and reigns supreme over His creation. Because verse 1, the end of verse 1 says, For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So if you don't like the election results, you blame God for it. Because He's the one, He's the one who institutes all that. So, what is the primary reason we're to submit to human government? Well, there it is. Government has been instituted by the very decree of God. And it's an integral part, by the way, of His divine plan for fallen mankind. The government's by divine decree. Number two, resistance to government is rebellion against an institution of God. Whoa, that's serious. So the logical ramification is simple, I hope. Because civil government is an institution of God, then for any of us to rebel against government is then to rebel against God who established the government. I hope that's clear. Ultimately, you're rebelling against God if you rebel against His institution. Now, the seriousness of this can be seen quite well, I hope, in Numbers chapter 16. Let me give you, I'll just give you one quick example here. And, and it's very serious and very striking when you see how God takes rebellion very seriously here. God had instituted Moses as the leader of Israel at this point. He's not... He's not only the human lawgiver, but he's the human leader of Israel. He's both. And what ends up happening here in number 16, there's 250 malcontents who rebel against the God-giving authority. Some of the ones you'd probably recognize are guys like Korah, Dathan, Abiram. Anyway, they assembled against Moses here, and... Numbers 16 says that the Lord was so angry with their rebellion that the Bible says the ground opened up underneath them and they fell into the ground. And then number 16 says that fire came forth from the Lord and consumed all 250 of them. That shows what God thinks about rebellion. It's serious. Dude. So number three. Those who resist will be punished, according to verse 2. They will be punished. Because verse 2 says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, you might think that judgment is, is referring to God's eternal judgment. That might happen, but that's not what this is talking about here. This judgment here is punishment from the government itself. For you break the laws of the government, you will receive the judgment from the government. That's what God's saying. So those who resist will be punished from the, the, the governing authority. And then number four, government serves to restrain evil. That is one of their purposes. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Now, Paul is obviously speaking in general terms. Not a 100% thing, of course. But he's speaking in general terms, saying here that rulers are not a cause of fear for those who have good behavior, but for those who have evil behavior. Those who are evil need to fear. Now, he, of course, if you understand what Paul went through, he had suffered a great deal at the hands of rulers of his day. He, he was abused for godly behavior, for preaching the gospel, in fact. But even the most wicked governments often act as a deterrent to crime. Even unbelievers will, will deal with, usually, I should say, usually even unbelieving governments will deal with, with murderers and thieves and so forth. The government often serves to restrain evil. And then number five, government serves to promote good. Again, speaking generally, according to verses 3 and 4 there, because verse 4 goes on to say that he, that is government rulers, is, is the he there in verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. You think of your MPs and your prime minister and your your mayor as God's servant? You should. Because they are. I know, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, isn't it? But that's the way we need to think of them. So generally speaking, peaceful and law-abiding citizens have been favorably treated by governments, well, at least throughout history. Now, there's many notable exceptions to that, of course. But such people have no fear of authority, generally speaking. And then number six, rulers are empowered by God to inflict punishment for disobedience. Verse four, I hope, is, is clear to you there. The end of verse four talks about, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So in order to promote and protect the good in society, human government usually punishes evil. And consequently, those who do what's evil have then reason to be afraid. Which, have you noticed? Often a lot of this stuff happens at nighttime. <laughs> because they have reason to be afraid. Notice an interesting word in your Bible, the word sword there. The Bible uses the word sword, and, and, and because the word sword is, in Paul's day, was an instrument of death, the weapon here symbolizes the right of civil authority to inflict punishment. By the way, that includes the ultimate penalty of death for crimes that deserve that very thing. Now, I don't know what your particular view on capital punishment is. I might be opening up a can of worms here, but I'll do it anyway. Because the Bible talks about capital punishment, and it's, it's, it's at least implying it here. So, in the earliest period of human history, we see in Genesis chapter 9 where God instituted capital punishment. By the way, nowhere in Scripture does God say He stopped that. In fact, He's He's implying it here again in the New Testament. But in Genesis 9, verse 6, God said this, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. 
Why? God says, for in the image of God, he made man. So the reason for capital punishment is we uphold the image of God. Serious business. So here's what uh, one man said by the name of Robert, Robert Culver. I like the way he said it. So I quote, What must not be lost sight of is that unpleasant as is the task of the jailer and the use of the whip, the cell, the noose, the guillotine, these things stand behind the stability of civilized society, and they stand there necessarily. For God has declared it so in harmony with reality, rather than with apostate sociological opinion. Government, with its coercive, coercive powers, is a social necessity, but one determined by the Creator, not by the statistical tables of some university social research staff. I love that. Anyway, no society can successfully vote fines, imprisonment, corporal and capital punishment away permanently. The society which tries has lost touch with realities of man, his fallen sinful state, realities of the world, and the truth of divine revelation in nature, man's conscience, and the Bible, end quote. Well, I hope you understand what he's, he's trying to say there. So the point is, government has the right to bear the sword. Government has a God-given right and privilege to punish the wrongdoer. Well, that brings up another touchy issue that I want to address, is, is, which is abortion. I hope you believe that abortion is murder of an unborn child. And by the way, any nation that permits or even encourages this ghastly execution of the most innocent and helpless of God's created beings in His image, you need to understand they will not escape God's judgment. If they can't defend themselves, blood will cry out to God's ears. And so the land, the Bible talks about land crying out for the blood of the millions upon millions of massacred babies in the wombs of mothers. God will answer. He will. We need to, we need to uphold the rights of those who are made in God's image. They are not a fetus. They have a soul. They are made in God's image. need to be treated as such. So we need to do what we can to pray against this culture of death. We need to do what we can to stop the culture of death. To be salt and light that God has called us to be. Well, another reason, number seven, as we think about why do we submit to governments? Well, government should be obeyed for conscience' sake. Government should be obeyed for conscience' sake. According to verse 5, which says, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. See, you need to understand God has given you a conscience. And that conscience can be trained, it can be seared, it, it, it can be informed. I hope you're informing it through Scripture. 
So we see Christians are to submit to civil authority not only out of fear of punishment from God, but also for your own conscience sake. Take your conscience seriously. Don't misinform it. Don't sear it. Don't don't ignore it. Don't do what some people do with lights and bells and noises where they just they get sick of these things and eventually they just cut the wires so they don't have to listen to alarms going off. That's not a good idea with your conscience. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's why you do it. Ultimately for God. Well, that brings us to verses 6 and 7. Here's a question that you need to think about. What should be the Christian's response to government? So we've seen the first command in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And here yet again we have another command. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. And I say this, it's, it's very hard for you those words to even come out of my mouth, frankly. <laughs> Does anybody actually enjoy paying taxes? You don't have to raise your hand because I already know the answer. I've, I've never heard of anyone who enjoys paying their taxes. But nevertheless, taxes are a part of everyday life. And it's appropriate for citizens, including Christians, by the way, to take advantage of whatever legal deductions you can, whatever benefits you have under the law, that what the law provides, by all means, don't give the government any more money than they're already asking for. They're already asking for too much, so don't give them more than, than they're, they need. All right? So as a citizen, you need to understand that. All right? it's, it's totally justifiable. Uh, do that legally. Use accountants or whatever you need to do to accomplish that. We don't want to be illegal or unethical. But we certainly don't want to give any more than necessary. Let me talk about some excuses that Christians, some Christians use. If the shoe fits, then wear it. Here's, here's the first acute excuse that some use. That they say, well, all taxes are not just. All taxes are not just. And if that's your excuse, you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> All taxes are not just. But that is not the point that God is making here. He's not saying give taxes to governments if it's just. Another excuse is that, well, many taxes that are justly levied are not justly spent by the governments that is collecting those taxes. Again, if that's your excuse, you are absolutely correct. Many of the taxes that are our government and city council takes are, are not spent in a just way. But again, that's not the point. God's not making exceptions here. Another excuse is, well, our government is corrupt. Therefore, I'm not going to give my taxes to a corrupt government. Well, if you think we have it bad today, just think it like, what was it like in Jesus' day, in Paul's day? What kind of a government was the Roman Empire? What was Caesar like? 
the Roman government of, of New Testament times was pagan. It was dictatorial. It was often merciless. We have it much better. Praise God for that. Uh, often, and this is one of the problems that str- Christians struggled with in, in the time here of Romans, is some of the taxes that they would have given would have gone to support pagan temples, to support the prostitution that took place in the pagan temples. Do you think the Christians of Paul's day enjoyed seeing their tax dollars go toward that? No. Do you think their tax dollars enjoyed seeing it go toward building things like coliseums where Christians would be lit on fire and thrown to the lions? I don't think so. So we can't use our government as corrupt as an excuse. And so that's the backdrop for Paul's teaching here. And so we also need to understand here in in verses 6 and 7, Paul gives us two short verses that are very helpful. And he's going to present three Ps for you. I hope this will help you remember these. Three Ps, three Ps, sorry. He's going to present the principle the purpose, or the reason, and the particulars. So you'll see those in verses 6 and 7. So here's where we're going to end for today, looking at these points. So here's the principle that the Holy Spirit gives in verse 6. Verse 6 says, For because of this you also pay taxes. For because of this. Or some of your Bibles might say, For the same reason I've been... Bible say different things depending on your translation. But what, what all that means is when you have that phrase for the same reason or for because of this, it's pointing back to those previous five verses there where Paul, as you know, has set forth the Christian's obligation to submit to human authority. And so this indicates here that paying taxes is part of this general obligation of submitting to government authority. By the way, Jesus explicitly taught that taxes are to be paid. And by the way, Jesus even said even to pagan Roman governments. If you don't believe me, read the book of Matthew sometime. Because in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees, as they often did, tried to trap Jesus. And they came to Jesus and they said, oh, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? (laughs) Do you think they really wanted to know Jesus' answer? No, probably not. They're they're just trying to trap him. They're trying to get him in trouble. Use, Use his own words against him like they did at his trial. And interestingly enough, Jesus perceived their wickedness. And he says, why do you tempt me, you hypocrite? He says, show me the money. So he takes a Roman coin. He puts the Roman coin in their face. And the Bible says that they brought him a penny. And he said, whose image is on this coin? Of course, he was referring to Caesar. And they did answer Caesar, by the way. And so after they said Caesar, it was the correct answer, Jesus said, well then, render unto Caesar 
the things which are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. I hope you understand Jesus' answer is clear there. When Caesar says, give me your money, we must give unto Caesar what he asked for. So that's the, the principle, that paying taxes to human government is a God-ordained obligation. Like it or not, and I don't, but that's the way it is. Now, what's the purpose for this? Why pay taxes? Well, verse 6, again, tells us, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So government authorities, by the way, here referred collectively as ministers, have a greater responsibility than they and the rest of the unbelieving world realize. They probably don't realize that, most of them don't, I'm sure, don't realize they're God's minister. They don't get it. Uh, A lot of them are probably uh, in it for the money or other power, various reasons. They love control and so forth. But regardless of their political rank, whatever their personal qualification is, even their morality or their spirituality or lack of it, officials who collect taxes here are servants of God. So like every other civil officer, the tax collector here is a minister of God for good, verse 4 says. Verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. And it's for that reason that we're to pay our taxes. That's the purpose. Let's look at the particulars of verse 7. Because Paul mentions several particulars about paying taxes. Number one, we're to pay to all what is owed to them. Pay there is a command in the Greek. By the way, taxes are not voluntary or optional. It's not like an offering where you you, you willingly just give this. No, this is something that we have to do for the support of government. So therefore, paying them is the unqualified obligation of everybody who is a citizen of whatever country they, they live in. So Christians not only have a moral, but as Christians, we have a spiritual responsibility to pay our taxes. God requires it. So what are we doing then if we cheat on our taxes? Not only are you committing a crime, but you're disobeying God. It's a sin against God. And number two, Christians are to pay tax to everyone to whom tax is due, according to verse 7. Notice taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. So that that, that revenue tribute there is the uh, same term mentioned up in verse 6, probably referring to a combination of income as well as a property tax that was paid by individuals to their to their foreign rulers of Paul's day. So the command is clear. It's, it's binding, not optional. It's, it applies to us today as well. And number three, Christians are to pay tolls and goods tax as well, or New Zealand, we, we might call that GST, goods and services tax. So this is a, a form of toll or, or a goods tax, the sort of thing that the Apostle Matthew used to do before Jesus called him to be one of his 12 disciples. 
He was ripping off his own people. He was working for the evil Caesar. Filling his own pockets in the process. So this is something that was paid directly to Roman governors or even the procurators or to to people who worked for Caesar. People like King Herod, for example, was a vassal of Caesar. Caesar would would often make kings or rulers in those various regions to, to serve and work for him. King Herod would also get taxes from the Jews. And then number four, as we think about these particulars about paying taxes, we need to understand Christians are to have a Christ-like attitude toward public officials. So it's not enough to just pay your taxes. Oh, now here's where it gets even harder, right? You mean mean I have to have a Christ-like attitude as I pay my taxes to these people who don't deserve it? The next two obligations show us this here in verse 7. It's not enough to just pay the taxes. We have to have a Christ-like attitude toward the very public officials who are taking the taxes and using it. Notice what verse 7 says here, because Paul says that we're to respect them. Respect to whom respect is owed, verse 7 says. That's an interesting word, Greek word phobos, from which we get phobia. Phobia is just fear of all sorts of, there's all kinds of phobias, fears. But this is referring to everything from awe to just abject terror. But in this context, context helps us to understand what does that mean. Probably means just having a sincere respect for the civil authorities who are collecting the tax. In other words, you you can't call them names. You can't use your fist and beat them up and and those sort of things. We have to respect them in a Christ-like way, the way Christ respected these kind of people. He loved tax collectors and was criticized for that too, wasn't he? All right, second, you see there in verse 7 that we're to honor them, not only respect them, but honor them. Now, this refers to high esteem. And by the way, it's something, according to the Bible here, it's something that's genuine. It's sincere. It's not fake. It's not feigned. It's not pretended. And you say, oh, man, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. <laughs> that, that is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in you. There is just no way that you're going to be able to honor these people any other way. So the honor that we render to those in authority, including those who are collecting the taxes from us, should itself be honorable. That's what God's saying. So, I come back to the question I started with. How is a citizen of heaven, in other words a Christian, to relate to human government? How? Well, basically, two points. First, be subject to your government. And second, pay your taxes. Verse 1 tells us to be subject to the government. Verse 6 says pay your taxes. And those commands, at least in this text here, are summarizing a Christian civic duty. Is that all we do? No, of course not. But we're just looking at this text here. And so it's through fulfilling those two obligations that, that we can then do what Jesus said in Matthew 22. May I remind you, Jesus said, Rendered to Caesar 
the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. May God enable us to do both and to do them well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for this clear portion of Scripture. And we ask that You would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from Your Word. As hard as it is, as impossible as it is, may we obey what we've seen here. May we not only obey outwardly, but may we have the right attitudes as these verses are calling us to have. So we ask that You would do such a work in us that that uh, that our governing authorities, civil government authorities, would see the Christians of our nation and how they submit with good attitudes, Christ-like attitudes, and may, may You be glorified through us. And may some of them come to Christ because of the attitudes, the Christ-likeness that we exude. As hard as this is, we ask that You would do this great work in us. May we do it for the right reasons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.